Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. I'll hand this to you. You can please take a seat. It's wonderful to be here, wonderful to see some good old friends. Tony, you're looking great. Yeah, just wonderful. It's beautiful to be here. In, the, in our nation's capital, um, we send greetings from our church and from our beautiful, diverse movement, a family of pastors and churches around the world. But I thought um, we've been working in some pretty strange places in the world. Um, and Kathy was with me on one trip. Um, and I've asked her to share... A story which was very moving to us. <laughs> Keeping in mind, I had no warning. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to be with you this morning and to see all of your beautiful faces. Some of you I know, it's beautiful to be here. Hello from C3 Ride. And yes, I was with Richard uh, in a trip to Kazakhstan. Where were we? Or Kyrgyzstan? One of them. One Kyrgyzstan. Of them. I don't know. One of them. We're with the Russians. We we're with the Russians. We're in Kyrgyzstan. And uh, the hilarious thing was Richard was already there and he said to me, I'll meet you in Kazakhstan. And I thought, how hard can that be? But um, anyway, so we were moved from Kazakhstan to Kyrgyzstan and we had all of these Russian pastors with us that had come from Russia down to Kyrgyzstan to meet. And there was one <coughs> particular pastor who... He didn't speak any English, we had interpreters, but, you know, there's some people that you just know the power of God is upon them, and he was such a humble, wonderful man of God. He has a church of about 200 on the border of Russia and Ukraine. Uh, he works full-time as a plumber, has five children, and leads, yes, <laughs> to all the plumbers out there. And uh, Go, Ben. Yeah. And, uh, ben, Russia, so, Ben, Ukraine, Ben, <laughs> So part of the story that perhaps we don't understand about the war in Ukraine is that there's a lot of Russians who live in the Ukraine and for many of them they have had to flee into Russia. And so because he's on the border there are uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of Russians fleeing the Ukraine back into Russia and uh, the refugee stop was his church and uh, they were totally uh, overwhelmed by the numbers <clears throat> of distressed and displaced people coming into their church. And, uh, oh, anyway, oh, look, I'll just, I'll just make a disclaimer. For those of you who don't know me, I cry all the time. I'm not famous for many things, but I am famous for that, so just ignore me and talk amongst yourselves. But anyway, so all of these people were coming to his church, and he said, there's one woman in his church who is mighty, and she, um, oh, every day, she would go to where the refugees were, where they were housing them, and she would find them food and clothing. She served faithfully every day amongst these people. And one day she said to her children, I want you to go to the shop and buy chocolate for the refugees. So she gave them money, and her kids came back and said, this is all we have. So they just had a little bit of chocolate. They said, this is all we've got, Mama. And she said, that's okay. She said, just start to break off the chocolate to give to the refugees. Anyway, 
So they started. You can imagine how small the pieces were at the beginning. And, uh, but during this giving of the chocolate, they had a miracle of multiplication. There were about 150 refugees there that day and every single person got chocolate even though they didn't have sufficient and they had left over. And, uh, and when this pastor old was telling us this story, he was weeping and he was weeping at the goodness of God. Oh. And I could see the burden that was upon him for what the Lord had called him to. But I thought, this is God, because there's dignity in chocolate. You don't need chocolate, but there's a certain level of dignity when you receive chocolate. And the Lord gave dignity to these people. But the real miracle was that this woman's little children were the ones who saw the miracle. And this is the great truth of serving in the kingdom of God, that it's the servants who see the miracles. In John 2 verse 9, when Jesus turned the water into wine, it says, Jesus said to the servants to fill the jars with water and then to take, to draw out the water and take it to the master of ceremonies. And it says at verse 9, the master of ceremonies did not know where the uh, wine had come from, but the servants who drew the water knew. This is the dignity of serving is that we are the ones who share in the miracle. Thank you, Kathy. You're, um, uh, when we were worshipping, I've never heard uh, the children's song ever done in main worship in any church anywhere in the world. You know the one I'm talking about? Jesus. Uh-huh. And I thought, how beautiful to have that sung. Inarguably the smartest city in our nation or at least where supposedly the smartest people are and I was thinking flashed to me to be quite honest a bit of a shock first thought well what are you doing <laughs> right and then boom in my memory April the 23rd, 1962, one of the most intelligent, respected geniuses of the time, a German theologian called Karl Barth was asked to speak at the Rockefeller Chapel in the University of Chicago on the social changes that were occurring in the 60s to speak about philosophy, theology, sociology and all sorts of things. And at the end of that, there was a Q&A and one person asked him the question, if you were to sum up all of your writings and all that you believe, how would you sum it up? And he said, really quickly, quite simply, by repeating the words that my mother sung when I was a little baby at her knees. Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. There is nothing more intelligent and deeper than that which is simple and profound. Jesus loves us. It's revealed to us in Scripture. 
Lord, I pray today that our love for you would grow stronger and deeper and wider. Thank you for this beautiful church filled with incredibly talented and gifted people, so diverse and wonderful. Lord, we desire to learn from you and be positioned for what you have. Thank you for the journeys that we've been on up to this point. And we thank you for all of the experiences that we've had, the stuff that hasn't been so good and the stuff that's been great. It's shaped us. Lord, but allow that which is in front of us to be greater than our beginnings. Speak to us by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. Why don't you thank the wonderful musicians? And uh, the drummer, I reckon, looks a bit like Buzz Lightyear. Don't you reckon? <laughs> yeah. Beautiful drumming, by the way. Thank you very much. Do you know, um, uh, James asked you a question. You know, we, you can see with God's doing something new, you know, and then he said, you know, it's going to take courage and are you a little bit terrified and aren't you excited? And he gave this sort of half clap. And he said, why the half clap sort of got you to clap more? You know, you know why they only half clap? Because they're terrified. Because actually change requires immense courage. We're living in a world of immense change. We were talking to uh, your pastors last night and, and I was saying that um, I've been, our church has been, our, the church that we lead now has been going for 23 years. We've been in pastoral ministry for 35. I'm 62. Um, in all of my Christian walk, this last couple of years have been the hardest to read and this last 12 months, the hardest. Like, I don't know what to read. And I'm a good analyzer and good analytical thinker, but I'm thinking, my goodness, everything's moving. Now, that is a little terrifying, but it's a great position to be in because that's the position where you rely more on him. And therefore, the possibilities are far more open. So this morning... I want to uh, just unpack the courage that we will need. Now, there are three areas in which we need the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. We can't even come to Jesus. We can't see Jesus. We can't know him. So, um, there are three areas in which we need the Holy Spirit's empowering. Firstly, for inside of us. Secondly, for around us. What I mean by around us is that we need gifts of the Spirit prophecy, words of knowledge, healing, that's for the body, that's for us. And it takes courage to, to step out. Um, the, four, the third area there we, we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit is not for within and not for around, but beyond. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. We need power by the Holy Spirit to share Christ. And actually... We are in a context where it's getting more, a little more challenging, but not less. The opportunity is still great. So, the one that I want to shift is not about the gifts that we need for around us, for the body, not for the gifts that we need for beyond us, but I want to talk about the anointing or the empowering and the, the anointing of the Spirit that we need for within. Isaiah 11 verse 2 says this, talking of the anointing of Christ, this is a prophecy that, about Christ who would come, the anointed one. 
and says in verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. I'm just going to pause there for a second. I way prefer the older translation of the word power, particularly that which has they've, they've translated in Latin. It's the word fortitude. Because the kind of power we need is not an external flashy power, it's a virtuous power, a power of virtue, a power on the inside. And it says, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, I want to make just a distinction. This is not talking about the fruit of the spirit. Fruit is produced. Fruit of the spirit is produced by our response to what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. This is talking about gift spirit of wisdom did you know that you can pray for a gift of the spirit of wisdom we ought to be praying for more wisdom not human wisdom god anoint the church with wisdom for this day lord anoint thus individually and the church with a spirit of understanding a spirit of counsel my goodness do we need a spirit of counsel to come out of the church into the world rather than the world telling us how we should behave. And just let me say, some of the adjustment that has to be made in the church has been demanded upon us by the governments because we have not done the right thing. Let's just say it's plainly. But we should be the ones that have this righteousness, not... Everybody's moral today. Everybody's moral. We don't need to be more moral. The greenies are morals, the lefts are morals, the rights are morals. Everybody's moral. We need to be righteous, have the righteousness of Christ, then everything else will flow. We need, a, we need to pray, Lord, would you anoint me with a gift? It's spirit with a capital S. And it is different to the fruit of the spirit. Now, we all should be working on a response to the Holy Spirit so fruit is produced. But this passage is talking about a charism, an anointing, which makes me excited. Because if I lack wisdom, I don't have to wait to have it produced by years and years. I can actually get into a position and say, Holy Spirit, I seek you now for this day for a gift of wisdom, an anointing of wisdom. Now, these things, these anointings are not externals. They're internals. They're all virtues. They're virtues. In the Pentecostal charismatic world, we get consumed by externals. I'm a prophet. I'm an evangelist. We're talking about externals. But very rarely do you get people talking about the blessings of virtues on the inside. And we need to be a virtuous church. Do you know where it says the woman reached out and grabbed the hem of Jesus when the crowd was pushing around and he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. He said, no, I felt power leave me. The word power in that passage is moral virtue. There's... It's got to be something on the inside. And this is, all these virtues are about courage. To embrace what is in front of us is going to require great courage. To live as a single woman or a single guy today 
takes immense courage. To be a single mum or a single dad takes immense courage. To be married requires immense courage. To do your job requires immense courage. We've got some scientists in this place. Oh my goodness, do they need immense courage? Because we cannot be expedient people. We have to ask the deeper questions. Aristotle uh, talked about courage. He said he believed that the courageous person feared only things that are worthy of fear. Courage means knowing what to fear and responding appropriately to that fear. For Aristotle, what mattered isn't just whether you face your fears, but why you face them and what it is that you fear. But to be clear, Aristotle wasn't talking only about realities of things like physical death or pain or heart, but rather fears related to living and the gains and pains associated with living. We should be as fearful of the gains in life as we are the pains in life. Nothing ruins you more than your own appetites. I travel a lot. You can see what appetite I have. (laughs) Courage, it really is about positioning ourselves so that we can embrace what's in front of us and around us and for some, what's behind us. The first place the word courage is used in the scriptures is in Joshua 2.11. The reason I use this passage is because of the word it uses for courage. In Joshua 2.11 it says, When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now it says, our hearts melted and everybody's courage failed. The word courage there is ruach or ruach, breath. Your breath failed you. The word breath means spirit. Your spirit failed you. We need spirit, but not the human spirit. We need God breathed on the inside of us. And let not the spirit within us fail us. There's a sense that the deepest part of us, we need a greater anointing of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on you. The Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel and of fortitude, of knowledge and of the awe of the Lord. Do you know, curiosity killed the cat. And how-tos are killing our world. We're curious about how does that work? How does that work? Do you know what we need? We need to recapture wonder. Not how it works. When you stand at the base of a waterfall and it's thundering down, you don't think, I wonder how the molecules work. Well, maybe Andrew does. (laughs) He's a scientist. But you just sit there and you go, my breath's taken away. Yeah? I make cheese as a hobby. Right. When I eat cheese, the first time I eat the cheese, I eat it and I go, oh, that's awesome cheese. Then I ask, I wonder what they put in it to get it. But you never start with the, 
the one to what the how to first. Christianity is not about working it out logically. It's about revelation. It's about experience the wonder, letting it take your breath away, and then developing the intellectual framework for it. It's the wonder. We need to recapture wonder. When you're having your coffee, don't just woof it down. Just sit there and go, oh. Do you know, we need to recapture the power of small things. I use this illustration a lot. And this is true. Every time I take a drink of water, every single time I've trained myself and now it's habit that I experience the wonder every time I drink it. You can't tell what's going on in the inside of me, but I'm going, oh my Lord, this is incredible. It's incredible. Ben, it's incredible. It's incredible. You're incredible too, my friend. Thank you for the years of service. Just brilliant, brilliant man of God. The wonder we recapture is important. You know, it says, God did not give us a spirit of, of timidity, but he give us, gave us a spirit of, of power, love, and self-discipline. I believe courage is the combination of those three, three things. It's the balance of ability of competence and confidence with love, agape, and clear thinking. Where it says love there in that passage, it's not a talking about feely love, uh, eros love, Philadelphia, philae love, you know, brotherhood love. It's talking about agape love. God, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but he gave you a spirit of love. That means a spirit of love that is self-sacrificing. The outworking of that is if we receive Christ, we ought to easily outwork our service to others. And also of a sound mind. The word self-discipline in this passage, if you look at the original Greek, literally means a saved mind. It means your mind is born again. He's given you a spirit to think properly, to think clearly. So when we're faced with all of these strange things in our society at the moment, it's all going nuts and the world is becoming radically left or radically right, we have the ability to smack, bang, go in the middle where Christ is. Not pulled to the left or the right. Now, the foundation of courage has to be the one who has all courage, which is Christ. So Ezekiel 1 verse 10 gives an image of what God is like. It's a pretty weird image. But for brevity's sake, I'm just going to quote verse 10. So if we read Ezekiel verse 10, 1 verse 10, it says, the face of, the, of this, if you read the first of it, it's really, wow, what a, what a vision. It says, their faces looked like this. Each one had four faces. A face of a man on the right, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and also the face of an eagle. This is the picture of the full nature of God and the faces of Christ. We see it in Revelation 4 verse 7 again. The living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third was the face of the man, and the fourth, the face of flying eagle. Now you will know, many of you will know that throughout Christian tradition, they've allocated one of the gospels to each one of those images 
that's why in, in some of the traditional churches you've got that big golden eagle thing where they read the Bible from, okay? That's where it comes from. So Matthew, the lion, that's about kingship, kingdom. If you want to know anything about the kingdom of God, read Matthew. Mark is about humility, the servant, about the ox. If you want to look at, at, at learn anything about servanthood and basic moving as a team, Mark's the gospel. Luke is about the face of a man. Luke's gospel is the gospel of inclusion. It has more references to prayer and women than, and parties, which is hilarious. In fact, the, the, the truth, if we're ever going to get churches to really hum, and we need two things, lots of parties and lots of prayer. If we do parties and prayer, we're sweet. That's it. Do you know the first thing I teach all of our church planters all around the world, including Baghdad, Syria, Russia, Ukraine, all those places, I teach them, get rid of everything and begin with parties and prayer. And if you do parties and prayer, you'll have a good church plant. And they do. Real simple. Forget your sermons. No, do them later. I'm saying keep it simple. Prayer and parties. And of course, John is the eagle divinity. So let me put them down to four courages that we need. The first courage we need is the courage to feel. We're living in a world where we're inundated with social media on all sorts of sufferings all around the world and we've switched off. We're compassion fatigued. It takes courage to feel. It takes courage, courage to feel. It takes nothing to argue, but it takes a lot to feel. That's the face of the man. Do you know, I learned a, a, a very important lesson from my son when he was about eight. We were driving home from church. That was just him and me, him, him and I. And we're driving and he just said to me, oh, Dad, that was great preaching today, much better. And I said, wow. Now, I was expecting him to give me a little, you know, it was a great story and a great scripture, blah, blah, blah. And I said, and why? He said, because you smiled. I said, what? He said, yeah. Sometimes your face doesn't preach. And I thought, I said, what sort of face do I normally have? Grumpy. <laughs> Richard means stern but just. That's what the name means. Do you know what I learnt from him? Get the face of the man on. Let my face preach. I'm going to let every ounce of me preach. I just had a whole lot of guys, a couple of young guys with us in um, Central Asia. We had all these Russians and Ukraines and all that together. It was overwhelming. We had 500 at it. It was incredible. And the two young guys, I did a debrief this week, and they said, you preach over there like, like you don't preach in our church. I said, you're so more animated. And I said, yes. And I said, did you notice the result? He said, yes. Why don't you preach like that in our church? And I said, if I did, they'd get sick of it. But in a place where they've been pushed down, they need to know that the preacher is engaged with them and loves them and is, I'm, I'm going to work my tush off. I'm going to go around to every single one of these Russians and make sure they're smiling. <laughs> 
even if they don't. And the first time I met a Russian, I shook their hand and I said, hi, how are you? And he said, why? <laughs> well, well, okay. <laughs> right, so... We've got to get the... It takes courage to feel. Uh, Matthew 9, 36, it said, when, the, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like a sheep without a shepherd. We've got to look at people with the courage that Christ had. Mark 1, 41, Jesus was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing, be cleansed. Also having the courage of the face of a man, the courage to feel, is you've got to let your feelings lead to positive actions, not reactions. Acts 17 verse 16 to 17 says this of Paul. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Just pause there for a second. Paul is a Jew. He gets to Athens. Athens was called one great altar. The myriads of gods that were worshipped in Athens, they say there were that many idols that the ground was breaking under the weight of the idols. It's like one of those old cemeteries where all the cemetery thing graves are all broken. Paul gets there, he believes in one God. It says he's greatly distressed. That word distressed is only used once in the Bible in the New Testament. It's called paranoxymal, which is the same word that you, a medical person will use for somebody who has a seizure that looks like an epileptic fit, but has the no, it's not the cause of epilepsy, it's a cause of immense trauma that happens. So he's not just a little bit, oh, oh you know, I'm a bit worried about this. He is so distressed, but he doesn't deny his feelings of feeling distressed. Look what happens in verse 7. He allows the stirring of his emotions, he allows himself to feel it at the depth of the core of his being, but then he turns it into action because it says, then he reasoned with them. He reasoned with them and look where he reasons. He reasons in the synagogue where the religious are and in the marketplace where the normal gods are. We've got to allow ourselves to feel but not stay with the feeling, allow the feeling to inform our ability to reason. And that takes courage. The other thing is don't ignore or suppress the feelings associated with unanswered prayers. Luke 22, 41, 42, verse 44. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not your will, but yours be done. Verse 44. And being in, ang in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus prayed a prayer that was not answered. Jesus prayed a prayer that was not answered. Lord, if you can, please take this away. We actually have to have the courage to face unanswered prayer and leave them unanswered. There is nothing more, more painful than continue asking God, why, why? Some things we've just got to leave and that takes great courage. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. We've got to have courage. The second, the face of the lion. That is the courage to rule and lead. There is a temptation of confusing conquering 
with raw. We hear this thing, um, when I first got born again, I was a musician before I got born again, and there was this band in Adelaide, a Christian band, and they were called More Than Conquerors. And they were a heavy, um, what you might, not, not death metal, but they were heavy rock and roll, right? And uh, all of their songs were about, we were more than conquerors, yeah! And I thought, oh, I was just a brand new Christian. I think, hmm, I don't know about this. We can confuse more than, actually, being more than conqueror sounds exhausting to me. I mean, like, if you conquer once, that's enough. But more than a conqueror, does that mean you have to go on conquering? Okay, conquered now, now I've got to conquer again, I've got to conquer again. Now I've got to conquer again, I'm more than a conqueror because I'm conquered 10 times, now I'm going to conquer 20 times and 30 times. I want to retire. <laughs> I'm with the French. No, no I'm not, no, no. <laughs> Look what it says. Romans 8, 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But what does that mean? What is more than a conqueror? Well, it answers it in the verses before. Verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again, but the spirit of sonship, which we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies in our spirit that we are God's children. If we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. What is more than a conqueror of an army? It's a prince. It's a king. If you're a king, you send somebody else out to conquer. You are more than conquerors because you belong to Jesus. You're an heir of the throne. And we can relax in our sonship. We are, don't need to be driven people. We are called people. And there's a difference. The third face is the face of an ox. We need the courage to work. Highly underrated. The courage to plod. The courage to pull with a team. Oxen work in a team. I don't like working in a team. Do you know why marriage is so difficult? It's like a three-legged race. And I'm the one who can run faster. Do you know the three-legged races? You've got to slow down. Sometimes you're pulling against each other. <laughs> like when you plod as an ox, you're working in a team. And guess what? All oxes are pretty ugly and they all look pretty much the same. The courage to work is not attractive. Working as a team means you don't get the accolades, but that's the courage. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to just get your head down. Do you know some of the most courageous people I have met are single mums or single dads? They get up in the morning, look after their kids. They don't have anybody to stand with them. They just plod along. I tell you who else are incredible, people who've got disabilities, who are looking after families. There are a whole lot of people in our world that are immensely couraged because they're just like oxes. And you know the problem with being part of a team? It says in the Bible, if you want the strength of the ox, you've got to clean up the mess. There's always a mess working in a team. There's always a mess. Then the last is the face of an eagle, the courage to flow. Now, I 
get a sense that this is the courage that you need most right in this season. The courage to flow. This is the face of an eagle. An eagle soars on the thermals of the spirit of the wind. An eagle doesn't flap its wings. It soars, it moves, it flexes. It cannot work against the wind, it works with the wind. It takes immense courage to be flexible. Immense courage. We have to let the wind do the work. The other thing is that an eagle waits. One of the hardest things that we have to do in our world is to wait. I'm not very good at waiting. I find it's hard, but God does the best work in the wait. The scriptures talk about waiting immensely. He says, those who wait, Isaiah 40, 31, will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. In Isaiah 64 verse 4 it says, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who... Who does God act for? That's a conundrum. He works for those... So while you're waiting, he's working. While you're waiting, we need the courage of the face of a man to feel. We need the courage of the face of a lion to rule. But to rule out of rest, out of a knowledge that we belong to God. We need the courage of an ox. Just get on and do the work. And thirdly, we need the courage to flow, be flexible, be taken by the wings of the Spirit. And the key to that is wait. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. What courage do you need? What courage do you need? Because the Spirit of the Lord is here. And you'll need a spirit of wisdom to know which one, and spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, counsel. And that's a gift. Now, you might be here and you may not... I don't know where you are on your journey. Some of you might know about God in your head. Some of you might have experienced Him deep within your soul. And there'll be all sorts of versions along that line. But one thing I know is Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. 
Jesus revealed to me. If you would like Jesus revealed to you and you don't know Jesus before I pray for anybody else, or perhaps you know you need to come back to Jesus, can you just place your hand in the air? I want to pray for you. Okay, that's good. We're all good. So I want to create some moment right now. I'm going to ask Kathy to join me. And I want to lay hands on anybody. If you can identify the courage that you need for this season, we are going to pray that the Spirit comes on you with the gifts that are described in Isaiah 11. I'm going to ask Kathy to come forward right now. But I, want, I don't want you to wait. I want you to help us. So be quick to come. We're not going to spend a lot of time. We're going to lay hands. You know that passage from Isaiah 11? You may not know this or you may know this. This passage is used in traditional churches in the Catholics and the Anglicans and Lutheran churches for what they call confirmation. And St. Augustine, all those centuries before, talked about this passage and he happened to say that when we lay hands on for confirmation, we expect people to speak in tongues. <laughs> he used the word glossolalia. But we want to lay hands on you. There's a confirming spirit. Would you, while you're there, while the musicians are playing, if you want this, would you move quickly? Just come to the front. We'll lay hands on you really quickly. And perhaps the worship team can lead us in a moment of worship while we do this. Would you come quickly? We're not going to spend a long time. We're just going to lay hands on you. Because this is not about us. This is about you and the Spirit. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.